Once more, it's another edition of What's Involved on, uh, well, it's a Monday for you if you're listening to this on uh, the wireless. It is a Monday um, because, as you know, um, we're all doing remote work, etc., etc. Uh, this is actually being recorded on Friday. So it's the morning after the school's announcement. So in some weird and wonderful way, um, this is actually going to be a very interesting interview. And why, you may ask. Well, first and foremost, let me introduce you to my special guest today. Um, he is the founder of uh, something called Zibuza.net. Um, he's also an ed tech expert. Welcome, Malcolm Moy. How are you? David, thank you for having me. I'm well, thank you. Good. And it's an absolute pleasure to have you along with us. Thank you for taking the time out from what I must assume is a very, very busy time for you. Yes. In fact, since lockdown, I've probably been pushing 12, 14 hour days. Um, online education has just exploded. Wow. Okay. <laughs> it sounds it sounds fascinating. And it, it, that must come with all of the challenges like uh, like the Zoom fatigue and the, all sorts of things. I yeah. know exactly what that can be like. But tell me a little bit about Malcolm, because you, you seem to be, and dare I say this, as, as uh, somebody who's significantly graying, a younger person. Um, and, and to have the kind of knowledge that I assume you have must mean you've worked fairly hard in your life. So give me a bit of a background as to who Malcolm is. Okay, yeah, sure. So I think on the topic of age, um, I'm definitely young at heart. But if you looked at my ID book, you'd see that I'm actually 41 years old. So um, I have worked hard, but at the same time, I've had a lot of experience as well. So the looks can be deceiving. Um, I guess, yeah, I started off um, at the, as a computer systems engineer. And I think maybe to mention before that, I was at Wits University studying a BCom um, accounting or BA general. Um, degree, dropped out of university, um, and then went to Technicon and started computer science engineering. Um, and that's really when I came into my own in terms of, you know, um, a, a place where, where I was excelling and something that I enjoyed that didn't feel like work. And when I graduated, um, I worked for an SME company um, that lasted seven months. Um, I realized at that point that, you know, I did not want to work for somebody that was making all the money of my labor and so i was defiant in saying you know my next job is going to be with a corporate um, and i sat at home for 10 months waiting for an interview so um, thank goodness for family relatives um, i got a job with a multinational technology company and i was there for seven years um, and it was the best experience of my life um, a lot of growth the company was amazing the culture was amazing um, I had a lot of opportunities to travel and learn, um, and I had access to, to kind of like a global network of technologists. Um, and after seven years, it was quite interesting. I was working on a project and, um, you know, it, it turned out to be this massive project. Eventually, I think it was worth 1.4 billion rand in the energy space. And um, yeah, it was interesting what happened then at the corporate level. Um, you know, it was like, this guy's a junior, what's he doing on this deal, uh, appoint somebody more senior. And I think it was the first kind of moment for me, which was basically, you know, I've given everything to the company and the company 
has up until that point been very loyal to me. And it was a crossroads for me in terms of, wow, um, you know, is this the place I want to be? Um, and at that point, right, um, it's almost like when you're working in a corporate, you're told to sell, to sell certain things. And um, for the first time, I was kind of like, actually, I don't want to sell this product. I want a solution. You know, there's much more to it than just selling a product. Um, and so I became this delinquent in the company. Um, and not long, I was put on performance management. And, and that was also another point, which just like, wow, I'm so miserable. I hate going into the office. Um, and eventually I decided at the end of 2009 that I was leaving corporate. And I had a choice to go to other technology companies, but I thought to myself, you know what, um, let me go at this on my own. And at the time I had a friend, um, Arthur Anderson, not the consulting company, but, um, you know, he, he sat me down and he was kind of like, you have so much potential. Why are you wasting it in a corporate? You know, you could make a difference to people's lives and you could make a lot of money in the process. And so, yeah, that was kind of what I look back at now as my call to adventure. And um, nothing can prepare you for that moment. You know, at the time it was in the energy space. Um, and I thought to myself, you know what, I've, I've basically architected the solution. And so we'll just wait for the tender to come out and, you know, we'll make all that money and retire on some island somewhere. But yeah, that wasn't the case. Um, it took two more years for the tender to come out. And in that two years, I had a lot of time um, to myself. At the time, I was traveling back and forth to the U.S. Um, and, you know, I think at that point, entrepreneurship wasn't really mainstream. Nobody knew about it. When people asked what did we do, um, we couldn't explain it, right? And um, when the tender eventually did come out, I went back to my old company and said to them, look, guys, the, the tender's out. Are you keen to put together a proposal with me? I've maintained the relationship with the customer. And they agreed to it. And um, with a month to go, we were kind of relaxed about it because we had basically, you know, influenced quite a lot of the solutioning and the deal structure. And with two weeks to go, it was very quiet. And I come from that corporate background of tender, putting tender bids together. And um, I tried to contact people and nobody was returning my calls. And so, um, you know, I called my contact in the UK and I could hear the minute he answered the phone in his voice that something wasn't right. And then eventually told me that they were not going to um, put in a bid because they felt they had been burnt before. And, you know, I suspect maybe it was just more big egos in terms of management that did not want to maybe, they would rather sacrifice the deal than see me succeed. Um, and yeah, um, you know, at that point I'd gone through so much in terms of self-discovery as well, you know, before that it was very temperamental and impulsive and, you know, decisions that didn't go my way could, you know, literally make or break my day. But um, I come through a lot. And so I basically, when I had that call, I had closure, you know, I had a sense of peace about me that was just like, I accepted it. I didn't try and fight it. Um, I didn't blame anybody. And um, I remember sitting at the table, you know, after that call and the news was playing. My dad is a, a, a news um, fanatic. And I remember at the time they were talking about the Limpopo textbook crisis about kids that, you know, it was probably six months into the year that did not have their textbooks. 
and it automatically had this light bulb moment. It's like, wow, um, why don't they just digitize textbooks and give every kid a tablet device and the whole problem is solved? Like, in fact, I saw the whole business model flash before me. You know, I saw the, the product lines and, and everything else that went with it. Um, and that's how I got into the education space. Um, you know, it, it started off with, with, with that. And I think that speaks to kind of who I am. You know, I'm a curious person. I ask questions. Um, I look at all different types of scenarios. And, um, you know, through these experiences of trying to find solutions, one thing that came through is that, you know, we want to make a difference in society. So it's not just about profits. It's about impact. Um, you know, and, and that's where the journey has really taken off in terms of, you know, it wasn't the energy 1.4 billion deal that was my call to adventure. It was actually kind of going through that process and at the end of it, actually realizing that, you know, um, my place where I want to make a difference is in the education sector. Um, and not surprisingly, I come from a family um, of educational people in education. Uh, my mom runs an early childhood development center. Um, I've got aunts that are teachers. I've got cousins that are teachers. Um, so yeah, I'm very passionate about human capital and human potential. And so everything I do, um, you know, focuses on that. Um, and I think for me also, you know, it's, it's, it's about leading by example. So, you know, how can I try and help education without necessarily educating myself and learning about, you know, what works, what doesn't work. I was I was very average at school. I, I just barely, you know, passed. Um, and I really only excelled at, at the tertiary level when I started computer science and, you know, started to believe that, hey, actually I am capable of achieving excellence. Um, so it's been a lifelong journey of learning, unlearning, um, refining who I am, evolving, um, and that in itself has been my journey, too, in terms of, you know, uh, when I was in corporate, I was a sales specialist or technology specialist. Um, but when I went into my own in, in the business sense, you know, um, in a corporate, you've got a whole structure of people, marketing, legal, finance, etc. But when you go out on your own, you have to take on all these different skills um, and learnings, you know, in terms of how do you market yourself? How do you make sure the money you're making stays in the company without losing? Um, and it's a very different type of education. You know, you you, you hurt a lot, you bump your head, you lose. Um, and it's like you don't want to make those mistakes because you, you, you are limited in resources and capital, right? So you got to learn very fast. And so you learn to confront yourself, which which I think is something, a skill, you know, that is very important is... Um, you can try things and convince yourself. I think your mind entertains you in terms of, you know, convincing you that something is right. And if you just push it, keep pushing it, it's going to happen. But when you're an entrepreneur, you know, you, you've got to let go of your ego and realize that sometimes when you do things and it's not working, it, it's it's not that thing. It's probably you that's doing something wrong and you've got to adjust it. Otherwise, you you fail. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's about developing those skill sets. But, you know, over the years, I've realized that, you know, that, that, I don't know, people say, my mom always says it. She says, not everybody's like you. And I said, that's not fair because I feel like, you know, there's nothing special about me. But somehow through my experiences and, you know, the practical application of, of just applying different things that I've been able to kind of, you know, see how do you develop yourself as a person. So I've learned how to market myself. I've learned about legal. You know, when I started, I looked at 
legal contracts. And I was like, wow, I don't understand any word this is. But then you burn once, you know, because somebody catches you out on a clause and you realize, oh, my goodness, <clears throat> you know, I need to. So I'd speak to lawyers yeah, yeah. and read through contracts and say to them, well, you know, what's this about and what does this mean? And they'd explain to me, like, if you do this, this is the implications. And over the years, I've built up a skill where I'm, I'm not an expert lawyer, but I can look at a contract and be like, okay, this clause is, is, is you know, not going to work. We need to adjust it. Um, we've looked at finances, you know, money coming in, money going out. Um, and the whole idea is obviously how do you keep most of it and reinvest it back and pay yourself. Um, and that's been the journey. I, for me, um, as an individual, um, there's no separation in terms of the work I do in my life. It's a lifestyle for me. Um, and I'm all about ideas. I'm all about, you know, uplifting people. And um, I think maybe evident to that is in 2017, I, I published um, a, a book, a memoir of sorts. It's called Indigo Child, Chasing Dreams Money Can't Buy. Um, and that also documents kind of the experience, the journey growing up in South Africa, the different experiences and influence um, and moments, you know, in my life that influence various things. And also speaks to the projects I'm working on. So when you look at something like Sibuza and what it is today, um, you know, I give you really behind the scenes, like a raw view of, you know, the influences and, and it's not perfect. You know, a lot of people look at me today and tell me that, you know, I've inspired them, um, you know, and look at the energy and, and stuff. But, you know, it didn't start that way. I've always been this reluctant person, um, you know, skeptical person. I've had to fight a lot of demons as well. Um, and it's been quite a journey. And so you noticed earlier, I mentioned um, my call to adventure. And that's also, you know, based on, on this blueprint that I'm living, which is the work of Joseph Campbell, um, A Hero's Journey. You know, and, and so I, I think that for me is also speaks to my spiritual nature, which, which is basically this mythology of, you know, in, throughout time, all societies, um, we've had these moments of um, call to adventures, um, you know, where, where somebody feels something's not right, you know, in society. Um, and, you know, there, there's all these kind of opportunities where they can answer that, but they typically are reluctant until something pushes them or forces them to make that jump or decision. You know, and once you do that, you enter this world, which is different to, to reality, you know, in terms of what you experience, um, different rules that you play by. And what's interesting is you always find the right people, the mentors, the coaches, the people that prepare you for your journey. And, and you know, those moments are really special. It's, it's almost serendipitous in terms of just the right people coming into your space at the right time. Um, it seemed very weird. Uh, yeah, exactly. Spooky. Um, well, you know, yeah, those moments. Yep. Sorry, Malcolm. Sorry. To, it's just, you know, listening to you speak, it's, it's very clear how passionate you are and your and your background and just the kind of things you're yeah. saying that, that that the story of the hero's journey and you know um, one of my beliefs is is cometh the time cometh the teacher um, yes. and and you know I think we are moving more and more towards this holistic kind of integrated lifestyle thing and and you know um, you talked about serendipity uh, there was a there's a friend of mine or coincidence. There's a friend of mine and one of my mentors who always used to say, uh, coincidence is God's way of remaining anonymous. So um, yeah. very, very, very interesting. 
When we come back, though, I'd like us to move on to um, a little bit more about Zibuza.net and, and why you founded it, what is it, what does it do, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So we'll yeah. talk a little bit more about that when we come back. It is What's Involved, and my special guest is Malcolm Moy. And we're back. What's Involved with my special guest, Malcolm Moy, founder um, of Zibuza.net. He's also an edtech expert. Malcolm... It's, it, I mean, I've got to get the book. Let's just start there because it sounds absolutely <laughs> fascinating. I, I, was, I was sitting here and I'm riveted. Um, so riveted, in fact, that I even forgot to look at what the time was. Um, but what Zabuza.net, I mean, how did somebody, you know, how did you get the idea and, and what is it? Okay. So remember earlier I was chatting to you about my corporate experience where I had access to a global internet of experts. Um, and so when I went on my own and I went into the education space, initially it was to digitize textbooks and provide every kid with a tablet device. Um, but when I went into schools, I was like, okay, wow, you know, it was very different to what I expected. And one of the things that I picked up, which I still, you know, it's still one of the pillars that we, we build on today is that there's no culture of sharing and collaboration in the education system. So if you look at the different stakeholders, teachers, for example, right, the driving force behind learning, there's over 500,000 teachers across the country. Teachers don't speak to each other as, as, as you would have thought. You know, they're not sharing best practice um, on scale. They're not, you know, sharing lesson plans for preparation. Um, they're not sharing different types of activities that you could do, um, you know, to facilitate learning. Um, you know, and teachers work in isolation. It, it was actually quite interesting, you know, in those early days when we sat down and we just spoke to teachers to find out, you know, what it's like in the day of a teacher. And, you know, um, in my previous lives, I was also a um, computer literacy teacher working with kids and adults. And I think that served me very well because, you know, I, I knew that kids automatically took to technology. You know, it was it, it was the learning curve was so um, steep for them in terms of, of the grasp of it, right? But, you know, when I worked with adults, I was like, wow, it was pulling teeth from chicken. It was just like so, so painful and difficult. So I, I anticipated, you know, the reluctance from adults. Um, and it was no surprise then for teachers, you know, who were kind of like, no, I've been doing this, you know, this way for all these years. And so there's no reason for me to change. I don't understand. Um, you know, we'd go into schools, various schools, you know, your well-funded independent schools, and we'd go into schools in Soweto, and it was pretty much similar in terms of culture where, you know, teachers had these files that they would come in under their arms and they'd speak about how proud they are about, you know, the lessons and, and what they've done over the years. And, you know, I'd say to them, is it fine if I take your file with me for the weekend, you know, and they'd be like, nope, you got to come and sit with me. And I thought to myself, think about that for a second, right? Um, teachers were willing to share information, but you had to sit with them and kind of copy their notes or and stuff, but they wouldn't give you their files. And if you think about it over a lifetime, you know, teachers leaving the system and all of that knowledge and experience that's lost with them, um, you know, and then it was also the behavioral stuff where it's, it's kind of like um, I'm a teacher and I'm like, I don't want to share my notes with David because David's lazy and, and, and stuff like that, you know, or um, David's associated with a different union. So he's the enemy, you know, um, and so I thought it was OK. These are like interesting facets of, of being a teacher. But then when we started to engage other stakeholders, it was kind of something similar. So when you go into the Department of Basic Education, there's the national and provincial levels. And even there, it's kind of like, wow. So 
national sets out programs and policies, but provinces are autonomous. And so they get the budgets and they spend it accordingly. So you might say the department nationally says, you know what, guys, we need like a national platform to host all our resources. But once it hits a provincial level, every province says, the Western Cape, I want to do my own e-portal. Gauteng, I'm building my own e-portal. And national has no real kind of power to do anything about it because the provinces are autonomous. And so we saw those types of dynamics play out. And there's some interesting as well, interesting ones as well, you know, just from a political nature. I might get into trouble for this, but I'm, I'm a risk taker, so I'm going to share this with you. Um, you know, so when you look at politics, right, and deployment, you could have somebody in the ANC that is quite senior politically within the ANC party, right? But then the deployee at a, like, education level is lower than that person. But then in the actual, like, employment, the person um, that's in the department is higher than the person that's in the, within the ANC. And so you find that dynamic of, like, you know, paralysis where people don't necessarily want to do things or take chances because they don't want to upset the person that's their superior in the other on the other side of the fence. I don't know if that makes sense. Mm, but yeah, um, yeah. You know, these are the types of dynamics that are just like crazy because it's got nothing to do with education but politics, right? But yet it's impacting decisions because you know nobody wants to upset the apple cart or or, or do career limiting moves. And so these were the things we picked up. And then as we went from you know those stakeholders to other stakeholders, there was there were also more kind of you know complex dynamics at play which which was just kind of like wow um, there's a lot of fragmentation and silo driven efforts and that's really where Zibuza was born is what we really just wanted to do was create a platform where we could connect um, all the different stakeholders with a focal point on teachers because teachers drive learning and so what could we do there in terms of their continuous teacher professional development um, one of the other things we picked up as well, which I think is very relevant, as you said today, about this whole integrated way of life and learning, um, is the holistic educator support. So, you know, when you look at the ad adversity that teachers need to face, um, you know, how can we support them emotionally, socially? Um, you know, we saw some instances as well. And this is where the, the, the department is amazing. Like, you know, the e-learning white, e white paper, I think of 2007, a policy document. That's ultimately what influenced what Sibuza is today. So it's not like government doesn't know what to do. I think we just have challenges with implementation. Um, we, we, we basically built Sibuza off of that white paper. And then we looked at other research that was coming out. Um, you know, teachers were leaving in large numbers um, over a, a, a short period of space. And, you know, when the department looked into it, what they found was that brokers were going into schools and convincing teachers to cash in on their pensions and then misinforming them and telling them, you know, that they can come back into the system two years later. So you're seeing like 20, 30,000 teachers leaving the system, you know, for pensions, which which was bad advice, right? Um, but it has an impact on the system. And then they did some studies as well, which found that um, teacher absenteeism is linked to um, al like alcohol, which is linked to mm -hmm. financial duress. So teachers don't know how to budget, save, invest. Um, there's always fights with like, you know, teachers going on strike, teachers don't get paid enough. Um, and that's not always necessarily true, you know, uh, but if you don't know how to budget and save, I don't think any money, any money you have is enough for you. Right. But what teachers would do then under duress is turn to alcohol. Teacher absenteeism goes up and learner performance goes down because teachers are not in class on a, on a Friday and a Monday. 
And so we looked at that and thought, you know, how do we bring other stakeholders into this community where we can provide these types of support services? Um, and then the final pillar of Zibuza is appreciation. You know, we look at it and as I said, um, teachers are the driving force behind learning. Um, you know, teachers um, is the only profession that, you know, gives birth to all these other professions. Um, and so we said, you know, how do we take time out to really just appreciate teaching and how do we elevate the status of teachers in, in our society? Um, and that that's where Sibuza um, was born. I think on our part, it was also better understanding, you know, how government operates, our public education system. And here's something interesting that not many people tend to look at, you know, government gets a lot of criticism for what they do. But when you think about education, right, and you think about the fact that the biggest portion of GDP goes towards um, education, um, corporate social investment spends up to 8 billion rand a year, 40% uh, of that going to education. And so, you know, when you compare us to other countries, we, we invest quite a significant amount of money in our education. But when you look at the results, you're kind of like, okay, why is the performance and the quality of education so low? Um, and that was something that boggled me for years, right? Until I found out that, you know, the Department of Basic Education feeds up to 9 million kids a day. Think about that. Um, they transport up to 8 million kids, if not more, a day. Um, if you look at the infrastructure involved, there's not much money that actually gets spent on education. It's all the logistics around the business education that, that, that you know, takes quite a lot of the, the fiscus. Um, and so for me, that was very you know, important in me realizing as well that government is not the enemy um, and actually they are trying their best. And, and you know, initially when we worked, we, we did not engage with government and eventually I, cop I, I, I contacted them. It was, I'll never forget, it was a Sunday. You know, as an entrepreneur, you don't have days of the week anymore time. So I sent out a message on Sunday and I thought to myself, oh, you know what, it's an info box. Nobody's going to get back to me. It's government. Um, and I, I was I was pleasantly mistaken. Uh, Monday morning, first thing, um, I was contacted by the department. I was given the details of the gentleman that heads up the partnership directorate, and um, it was quite an interesting engagement as well. You know, he he sent me an email. He said, "Look, we're very busy. We get a lot of requests. Um, send me an email with a few paragraphs about what you want to do, and if it's good, I'll get back to you. If not, um, you know, don't take it personal." Um, which is quite busy. And so I sent him an email and the guy phoned me back and he was like, okay, wow, uh, this is amazing. Like you need to come in and see me. And yeah, I've been blessed. I've been fortunate to meet wonderful people within the department in various structures, um, you know, really capable people as well, you know, that's just trying to make a difference. But when you think about kind of where, where a lot of the time and energy and money gets spent around transport and food, um, you know, I, I would, to say like show me any other organization that feeds up to nine million people a day or has to transport eight million people a day um you know before they even get to the education matters so you know that was quite interesting yeah, Zibuza itself yeah. has, has been an interesting journey and it's kind of like a mix of education and entrepreneurship right so the first version of um, of Zibuza, it took us two years to build um, in terms of like, I didn't have the money to fund it. I didn't have like the technology capabilities to do it at the time. So I linked up with a company in America and I went to them, I flew out, um, you know, and before that corporate paid for all my travel. And so it was cool, but then I had to pay for my own travel. It's like going to the US and I'm like, okay, wow, this is an investment. So I flew out to the US, I met the CEO that side and I shared with him, 
you know, what it is I want to do. And so we signed up a partnership. I came back and I'm like, okay, cool. I've got a technology partner. I just need to go and sell. And so I contacted um, a private bank and I was like, you know, this is who I am. This is what I'm doing. And um, they were cool coming and see us. And, you know, from that first engagement, it took us two years to secure funding for us to actually build our our, our prototype, um, which wasn't even ours. It was kind of the American company's, you know, um, software. And so that was also a good lesson to learn. And then we worked with a, a local company because the idea was you've got the social networking platform, right, that's driven by social interactions. And one of the things that was innovative that we did was we looked at those social interactions. So, you know, uploading, downloading, view, shares, comments, rating, reviews. And we said, okay, we can add, add points to this, right? And through that points, we can start to influence behavior because we wanted teachers to start sharing their resources. And so we found a local company here yeah, to do rewards. And the idea was that if you, David, were sharing your lesson plans with us, at the end of the month, you could stand a chance to become teacher of the month. And with that, there's a prize, right? And um, the corporate partner gave us 50,000 Rand, right? And so we designed the program, we rolled it out, we had a soft launch, we started signing up people. And after the first month, we kind of like, okay, cool, these are top contributing teachers. Um, and so after six months, right, you kind of like, um, teachers are not claiming these prizes. One guy in the Western Cape had, I think, 6,000 Rand with us. And so I phoned him, I'm like, you know what? Um, we noticed you have this, is it something difficult in terms of the system, are you not able to claim? And he said to me, you know what? Um, I don't actually, I'm not motivated by money. So you can donate that money to a worthy cause, but I really appreciate the recognition you've been giving me. So what we were doing is we would take these same teacher of the month, we'd put them on our monthly newsletter, send that out to our distribution list. And we would also post it on our social media platforms. And guys were printing this out and showing it to their HODs and district officials and principals and say, look, I've been featured on this professional network of teachers. And so that was also interesting because at that time, right, my one of the local provider for the rewards, um, they hit me with an invoice of over 50,000 Rand. I was like, okay, where's this coming from? And they said, no, um, it's part of the VAT that you owe us. And I was like, guys, this is an all inclusive um, project. So, you know, this throws the budget out. And at that stage, it's a bit of ignorance on my side because I'm thinking I've got this private bank that's backing me. So it's not anything, you know, 50K. It's, it's not, you know, a lot for them. Um, but when I go back to, to my sponsor, they kind of like, nope, just because we're a private bank doesn't mean we're going to just give money out, you know, go back to your supply and tell them that, you know, there's no more money for this project, at least for this financial year. And so I go back and I'm kind of like, guys, this is the situation. Are you happy to wait until next year so, you know, we can pay the money? Um, you know, it's not that we don't want to pay. It's just that we can't pay right now. And so initially the guys agreed with me, but then several months later they came back and I think their financial year end was August and they're like, you know what, actually we need to, you to pay this now. And my like, guys, nothing's changed. There's still no additional money coming in. And then it just became unpleasant. Like the guys were hounding me to pay. They wanted me to sign an uh, acknowledgement of debt. And I was just like, wow. Um, you know, at, at, at that point, you know, the money that was allocated to us uh, and this also speaks to kind of entrepreneurship and the sacrifices you have to make. It's not always the best decisions, but at the time, right, is like we've been given this pot of money and 
I spent all the money on the two suppliers. Like I had no money for myself, right? And the rewards company, they paid me like a 10 grand rebate, um, you know, for, for the business I brought them. But, you know, when you think about it, like half a million rand, 10,000 rand that goes to you, the rest of the money is going to somebody else. And now you have these problems where guys are even pushing for more money. Um, and I must admit, like emotionally and mentally, I just wasn't coping, right? I was, I was like hustling to put petrol in my car um, just so I could get to meetings. Um, I, was, I was like, you know, looking at airtime, prioritizing airtime over clothing. Um, so, yeah, it just it wasn't. Sounds, it, sounds, like, it sounds exactly, you know, we often see with entrepreneurs, and I'm in that, that same sort of field as well, um, yeah. you, you see the success story. But, I mean, for you now, just sharing some of those stories, I'm thinking to myself, I can relate. <laughs> I've, I've been there. I've been yeah. there. You know, people, if yeah. people... If people looked at some of the, 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 the clothes I wore, I used to, and, and to a degree I still do, I keep my best clothes for when I have meetings or when I have to go out. Um, yeah. The rest of the time you worry about little, you know, little trivial things like airtime, food, yeah. a roof over your head. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's one of those amazing things. Um, we are chatting to my special guest, Malcolm Moy. Malcolm, when we come back, I'd like to chat a little bit more just to wrap up with what Sabuza is. But now the main thing that I'd like us to finish with is what on earth is happening with online learning, education, schools closing, et cetera, et cetera. So when we come back, we will discuss that a little bit more with my special guest, Malcolm Moy. It is what's involved. We are back. We're wrapping it up. Time flies. I mean, Malcolm, I could speak to you for a very long time about this stuff. Yeah. I'm so passionate <laughs> about, about education, and, uh, and I believe it's, it's one of the things that, that, you know, we build the future of the country on good education and, I, and I, I believe teachers are very much unsung heroes and I for one believe that uh, they should get uh, paid quite a lot more than what they do but we know that's not always possible. So so Malcolm essentially Zabuza.net is, is is it like a, a, a portal or a, or a, a group where, where teachers get together and they share knowledge? Yeah. It's a social networking platform. So I guess if you had to use like analogies, you could say it's a Facebook for educators, a Twitter for educators, a LinkedIn for educators. Um, what we've done is essentially looked at, you know, best of breed products and says, you know, what's working? Um, we're not here to reinvent the wheel. You know, what works well, you know, with, with platforms like Facebook um, and what are some of the negative, you know, aspects of it? And so we've looked at that and we kind of looked at how do we digitize processes so for teachers um you know in the day-to-day -day kind of analog world of in-classroom teaching what if we digitize that right and by digitization you, you introduce certain automation and efficiencies that increases a teacher's productivity and so you know that's what zibuza is it, it's it's a website um currently we we will be launching an app in the future um, it's available as, as a website through zibuza.net, um, zibuza.net. Um, and essentially, yeah, it, it's a social networking platform where teachers can connect with other teachers. They get access to resources like lesson plans, classroom activities, past exam papers and memos, um, textbooks, posters, study guides, etc. Um, there's support groups and forums that you can become part of that's either based on subject, grade or interest. Um, we've got partners, you know, the likes of Hollard, uh, Maths at Sharp, um, 
um, paper video, Siavula, um, you know, an endless list of organizations that all have a vested interest in, in education. And, you know, even things like um, the emotional and social um, intelligence stuff I was talking about, we've got organizations like Deliver and Explorare, um, you know, and then guys like Hollard who have come on board providing financial literacy and support. Um, we've even got a motivational speaker, um, Darren August, um, from the writer of A Teacher Changed My Life. And he goes around the country speaking to teachers and uplifting them, reminding them about the noble profession. Um, and he's pretty amazing. And so it's wonderful to have him in the community as well, you know, just inspiring teachers and motivating them, reminding them why they went into the profession in the first place. Um, I think that's absolutely brilliant. And and the, the whole concept of lifelong learning, even if you're a teacher, yeah. doesn't mean you've stopped learning. And I, I think that yeah. is so, so important. Um, Malcolm, as I said at the beginning of this interview, uh, we're, mm -hmm. we're talking about this on Friday. The show is going to air on a Monday. But yep. um, last night, being Thursday night, the president made some announcements. Schools are closing, et cetera, et cetera, sometimes for a week, other times for a month. We're not going to talk about the politics around that. But mm -hmm. in terms of the educators, the teachers, and in terms of pupils, how are they – reacting to this i mean it you know teachers and if, if you think about a lot of a lot of teachers and, and maybe my experience because you know i was in in school when captain morgan was only a lieutenant um but it was a long time ago but some of the, the, the teachers then were very stuck in their ways and it, it resonated with me when you were saying you know they don't share lesson plans they don't do this they don't do that it, it's very much they did keep things. How are they coping with this digital trend? And, and, and I would imagine the students are going, yeah, OK, we get this because, you know, the youngsters are used to this kind of stuff. But the teachers must be battling. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's quite interesting and funny, right? Because I, I, I suppose if you interview me in the next five to ten years time and you ask me, like, what was that pivotal moment, you know, that changed things, that got this platform up and running and, you know, made it grow? Um I'm going to say COVID-19, man, because like we've been preaching this for the last five years, if not more, you know, before the before our, our, our proof of concept. And, um, you know, you go to schools and you say to teachers like this is what it means and this is what it's going to enable. These are the opportunities it's going to unlock. And teachers are like, yes, yes, yes. And then you leave there and they're just like nothing happens. Right. Guys don't sign up. If they do sign up, they don't contribute. And, you know, that's one of the things I've been wary about is like human behavior. And like, okay, why do you say one thing, but you don't do it and, and stuff? And that's what we've been experiencing. And then COVID-19 comes along and all of a sudden teachers who were reluctant or hesitant are now forced to go digital because it's the only way, you know, that they can connect and engage. Um, and so, you know, we've seen this and I think that's also, you know, the role that we're playing in terms of how do we support teachers that are coming on online for the first time who are frustrated, who don't know. Um, and I, I suppose also when you look at it in the bigger scheme of things, right, this is the challenge with the well-funded independent schools and your public school quintile one, two, three schools in rural areas is it's very different worlds, right? So, you know, your teachers in, in, in the, in the well-funded schools are now coming online, having problems of having to go digital and it's a big, um, learning curve and, and stressful, um, and of the teachers I know in this, uh, you know, environment, they're actually embracing it. They're saying, oh, I didn't know this or like, wow, this happened, you know, so there's, a, I think, a lot of light bulb moments going on, um, but it's more because, you know, they have no other choice, 
you know, it, it, it's it's when you don't have a choice, you kind of go with it. And then I think they're starting to realize all the benefits of having technology as an enabler. And I say that, you know, in, intentionally and purposefully in terms of technology is not the silver bullet that's going to solve our problems, but it is an enabler and it's a tool. And if you use it well, you know, it opens up all these types of efficiencies. You, you'll increase your productivity. You'll feel good because you, you're connecting with people. You know, during lockdown, we've had teachers come onto the platform and we have a weekly call. Um, initially, it was every evening at 8 p.m. And we would just come in and, and teachers give them a, a space to vent about like what's happening, what are they concerned about, um, you know, and through that venting, we actually felt better on the call. And I made it a rule that, you know, we, for the first half an hour, we could vent all we want, but we had to end off the call with something positive, you know, an opportunity or what's working or what was interesting or what tool or application is, is, is one of the teachers using, you know, that other teachers could benefit from. And so we've built up this really like close community of teachers, um, you know, and even from our side, you know, we we involving them in our, our our development process where they're influencing our product roadmap because we're not just developing what we think teachers need or learners need. We're basically asking teachers like, what do you think, or where where do you think we could improve, um, you know, certain teaching and learning practices? And so our users are directly influencing our product roadmap. Um, but I think, you know, right now and what the president's done and, and where we are, I mean, for me, it, it's it's quite a concern in terms of the digital divide and the inequality. I think, you know, before COVID, there was huge inequalities in our education system. And I think COVID has just exposed it even more, you know, in terms of, of those who have and those who don't. And, you know, research has shown that, um, you know, this time that kids are missing out um, you know, it could have lifetime, you know, consequences in terms of being disadvantaged. And so as the president pointed out, you know, we're looking at generations that, you know, um, are going to lose out because of shutting down. So, you know, um, but again, let's focus on the opportunities. Let's look at what is wrong. What is the fragi fragility in our education system? And, you know, our, our viewpoint is how do we recover from covid um, you know, and how do we look to build resilience into our education system so that it is more inclusive and equitable in terms of, you know, should we have a second wave of COVID or another pandemic in, in the coming years? How do we ensure that, you know, our educators are equipped, that they trained um, and that learners have access, you know, um, um, one to, de to, de to devices and the other thing is to data. You know, so that our education isn't disrupted. And so if we have to have a lockdown for another three to six months, um, that learning can still continue. But, you know, when you talk about that resilience and, and uh, maybe conclude with this is, you know, what are the opportunities not to incrementi incrementally improve education, but how can we, 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 we shift the paradigm and fundamentally change our education system? And, you know, some of the things we're thinking about is, is the analogy of how do you consume entertainment? So, for example, you know, your radio show is, is a podcast. You should you, um, and people can ingest this differently. They can watch it on Monday when you ate or they can watch it in a week or a month's time. You know, it's always, it's always going to be there for them to consume. And when you yeah, look at yeah, things yeah. like um, Snapchats and, and Instagrams and, and TikToks, 
you know, this is the way the kids are consuming content. Um, there's no longer a need to wait for somebody to tell you what to watch and when to watch it. Um, you know, you can basically choose. In fact, you know, it's moving away from the content creation model where, you know, studios were producing content where now it's a user based content generation. Guys are posting you know, I, I look at my nephews and nieces, they're following guys and, or, and they're creating content, you know, so they also participate in they're co-creating. And when we think about education model, you know, it, it's, it's still very, like, you know, outdated in, in the sense that, you know, what are we learning? Why are we learning? And I think, you know, the future of education looks very different, feels very different. You know, I, I think it's a case of, you know, how do we get learners curious about education? How do we get rid of this whole assessment of pass and fail? Because, you know, that culture doesn't mimic real life. Um, you know, it, it, it's about, you know, how do we take learners on a learning journey and a pathway um, where we're able to gather evidence and show them it's like, okay, you at a beginner level, you at an advanced level, you at an intermediate level, or actually you at a mastery level. And what does that mean for all of those different learning parts? Um, we look at teachers and, and, and you know, what, what is their job roles in terms of instructor, facilitator, data analyst. Um, we're looking at situations where, you know, how can we get teachers the tools to publish their classrooms? So, you know, teachers to make a living, can we get them to, to publish their lessons online? So a teacher, uh, a parent comes into a community or a learner and they get to choose from a marketplace of teachers. They're not limited to a location or classroom anymore. Um, you know, teachers are able to publish their lessons. Parents can buy it on a on a transactional basis. I can buy just one lesson because that's what I need for my learner um, as a parent. Or I can subscribe to your channel, you know, your classroom because I actually love it and my kid, you know, is engaged and loves it. Um, or can we access, you know, sponsorship through corporate social investment so that the kids who don't have, you know, the, the, the disposable income to afford that, you know, can get access to it. Um, and so well, these I think, are all I think opportunities. That's, yeah, that's probably going to be a whole nother discussion um, in, in terms of, of <laughs> the access and stuff, because for a long time yeah. now, a long time, um, I've been a huge favor of, um, of the corporate zero rating educational yeah. data. Yeah. I've been a huge fan. OK, and and I've tried to I've tried to get that done because, you know, my background being being radio and, and the power mm -hmm. of radio and people can listen to radio all yeah. over the place but most people have got even the basic cell phones these days they're not even mm -hmm. the smart ones but the, the ones just before that they can pick up audio you know you can get it but i mean yeah. you know if you're in the most rural of rural areas you might have a cell phone and you will probably it'll be a pay-as-you-go and you're probably mm -hmm. not going to use that airtime for education because you never know if there's an emergency which you need to use it for so i'm a big fan True. Of, of zero yeah. rating data. Got to say that. Um, Malcolm, I'm sure we're going to chat more. Unfortunately, we've gone way over. We've run out of time. Um, <laughs> but it's been an absolute pleasure to uh, to have a chat to you. Zibuza.net. Z-I-B-U-Z-A.net. Um, is this available? Is this only for teachers or anybody that's in the teaching or so, related industries? Interestingly, when we started out, it was for teachers and organizations, right? Um, but what I long suspected was that we had learners and parents that were signing up to the community. And so as of the 1st of June, we've actually created functionality now where when you register on zibuza.net, you can choose a role, either a parent role or a learner role or an organization role or a teacher role. So it's for all stakeholders in the basic education system.
Fantastic stuff. Welcome. Thank you. I know that you're very busy. You've taken the time out to have a chat to us uh, today. Thank you so much. Uh, and we wish you all the best. May Zebuza go from strength to strength. Once again, it's zebuza.net. My special guest has been Malcolm Moy. Malcolm, do go well. Thank you, David.